All right, well, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your amazing love for us and that you have given us your word. And your word tells us that your word has power and it changes us and it helps us know you more specifically in understanding the beauties and glories of the gospel that we are reconciled to you, not through anything we do, but through the finished work of Christ through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection and ascension on high, Lord, we have been reconciled to you by grace through faith. And now, as we continue our study of how generous you are, and specifically according to the gifts that you've given us, would you work in us through your spirit? Would you help us to see things maybe we haven't seen and uh, give us courage maybe we didn't have? And would you use this time to equip us and excite us about continuing to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I heard a story about a young man who had an opportunity to do some prison ministry. He was going to be visiting a specific inmate, and so when they got, when he got there, the people at the prison explained that this person that he was going to visit was uh, an incredibly rough individual. In fact, he was in prison for murder. And they were explaining to this young man why he wouldn't be able to be in the same room with this man because not only was he in in prison for murder, but he had also just recently murdered another person in prison. And so this young Christian man who's there to do some ministry is informed of this, and so he goes to the room where this inmate lives and the it's a padded room because this inmate is on suicide watch and he's in some type of restraints although he can walk around in the room and so this young man comes up to this little plexiglass window and looks in and the inmate comes up and he looks out and so they're standing basically face to face except for the plexiglass in between them 
They have a brief conversation, a couple sentences. And that inmate falls to the ground and weeps uncontrollably for four to five minutes. And when he gets his composure, there's a little more conversation and that inmate repents of his sin and turns his life over to Jesus Christ, receiving the forgiveness that you and I have received by grace through faith. Imagine the power in that moment. You kind of want to know what did the young man say to this inmate? Maybe I'll tell you later. We are in this sermon series where we're learning and and remembering things about how generous God is to us. And for the past several weeks, we've been thinking about how he has generously given us gifts. He's given us ways to minister his grace to others and to the world. We've talked about how every one of us, if we're a Christian, we have a part in ministry. And we've talked about how we also have a purpose in ministry. And then last week, a place to do ministry. And this morning, we are focused on This amazing reality that God has generously given each of us power to minister his grace to others and to the world. So that's our focus for this morning, that we would see and that we would believe that we really do have power. And we'll see that that power is in and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to talk about in order to understand the power of the Holy Spirit is to first talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll talk about the point of our spiritual gifts, and then lastly, we'll actually talk directly about the power of the Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Spirit, the point of the gifts of the Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to do a, just make a little caveat here before we get going. There, there are some gifts mentioned in this passage that some of you may wonder, now wait, are people able to do that? Healing, miracles, things like that. And all I want to say about this is in order for us not to get distracted about that, we can talk about which spiritual gifts are still in play and which ones are no longer in play because they were temporary and they were used to authenticate the message of the apostles during the apostolic age while they were writing down the pages of the New Testament. Now that we have the New Testament and the canon is closed, the scriptures authenticate themselves. So there are some gifts that are no longer in play the way they were in the first century as the church was beginning. So, uh, but let's talk about that some other time. I don't want to get drawn into that debate of which gifts are in force and which aren't. Because today we want to recognize that all these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit, no matter what it is. So, first though, we're going to talk about what Paul talks about first in this passage, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Take a look at verse 1. See, if you're going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, it's pretty important that you know whether or not you have the Holy Spirit within you to empower you. So look at verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to, or I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand. No one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, pretty interesting that he begins this discussion of spiritual gifts with this statement because what he wants us to understand what he wanted the corinthians to understand is that spiritual gifts are not given to be evidence that we have the presence of the holy spirit that's not what they're intended for spiritual gifts are not given to us 
in order to prove whether or not we have the Holy Spirit. Rather, what he's getting at here is that it's a genuine profession of faith that is the evidence that a person has the Holy Spirit. Okay, and he's, he's reminding them that before they were Christians, when they were pagans, they were led astray by all these different things, all these false things, and he doesn't want us led astray on this fact. Okay, that spiritual gifts are not for the purpose of manifesting whether or not the Spirit is within us. Rather, it is a genuine profession of faith. Look again at verse 3. Here's what he says he wants us to understand. He's basically saying, if somebody has the Spirit, they, they can't deny Jesus because the Spirit would never allow them to do that. But at the same time, there's no way someone could say Jesus is Lord to have a, a genuine profession of faith without the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if you believe, basically what he's saying is, if you believe... That Jesus is Lord. In other words, that he is the son of God who came to live a perfect life and give the righteousness uh, that we need as well as to die a sacrificial death and pay for sins which we also need in order to be reconciled to God. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's the savior of his people, then you have the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, period. Okay? If you believe, you have the Holy Spirit. If you did not have the Holy Spirit, you would not be able to genuinely profess faith now why this is important is we do have within christianity some of our brothers and sisters and some of the different traditions and denominations uh, some of the more pentecostal or charismatic uh, traditions will say that actually speaking in tongues is how you know whether or not you have the holy spirit what they will tell you and some will even go as far as to say if you don't speak in tongues you're not saved this is exactly what Paul is pushing back against hard. Okay? He's making it abundantly clear that's not what spiritual gifts are for. What proves whether or not someone has the Holy Spirit within them is whether or not they have faith. Okay? So that's very important. In the same way that if you have a heartbeat, you're alive. Right? I mean, regardless of the quality of life, if your heart is beating, we consider you alive. If your heart is no longer beating then you're dead. And in the same way, if you believe, you have the Holy Spirit. Got it? Now that's important because if we're going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to know whether or not we have the Holy Spirit. And so it's important we recognize if we believe, we have the Spirit in us. Okay, take a look then at verses 4 through 7. And we want to talk about the point of spiritual gifts. Here's what he says. Now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, And there are varieties of service, so that word could also be translated as ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all, or them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Not to prove whether or not they have the Spirit. For the common good. Look at that line again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, what he's saying is, and this is a lot like what we talked about in the second week of this series, because it's the same thing. He's saying the same thing from a different perspective this time. He's saying that spiritual gifts are given to all believers in order that, in order that we can be a benefit to one another and to the world. Okay? It is through the reception of these spiritual gifts and as we live out these spiritual gifts that we know that we are truly benefiting people in the church, and people in the world. And what's really amazing about this is the way that he involves the Trinity in this moment. You see that? 
Look back at the text and notice in 4, 5, uh, 6, and 7 here, he talks about a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And then he says a variety of service or ministries but the same Lord. And he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of, Son of God. Excuse me. <clears throat> so you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Son of God, and then he says a variety of activities but the same God, as in God the Father who empowers them in everyone. And so you have him involving each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, one of the things that we've been talking about in this sermon series is that grammatically we can, we can see that spiritual gifts, the way that uh, they're written about in the New Testament, although we often think of them as special abilities that were given, they also seem to appear to be actually the, the roles in ministry themselves. In fact, it almost as if what Paul is saying here is something like this, that the Holy Spirit gives us all gifts. What are gifts? Well, gifts are ministries of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's a ministry? Well, it's an activity empowered by God for the common good, to be a benefit, to make us a benefit. Now, this is why, uh, I, now, again, this is, I'm not sure if this is where Paul is going here, so I want to be very careful, but I just want to bring in something that is very interesting about the fact that he mentions each member of the Trinity here in the context of talking about spiritual gifts and saying that the gifts are for, so that we are a benefit to one another. Okay, if we think about the Trinity, when we think about the Trinity, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here's a little uh, graph or chart, whatever, that you may have seen before. We believe in one God who is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're distinct persons. The Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son, so on and so forth. They're all in one another. The Father's in the Son. The Son is in the Father. Okay? And so when we talk about God, we talk about our God is triune. He's one God in three persons. And each of the members of the Trinity are equal in power and glory, but they also have different functions. They fulfill different roles. Like in our salvation, we can say that the Father appoints people for salvation. The Son accomplishes their salvation. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the Spirit applies that salvation to us by giving us faith. So equal in power and glory, three distinct persons in the Trinity, having different functions. Now look at the outside of the diagram. This is where I think it's really amazing here if you think about this. Biblically speaking, each member of the Trinity seeks to glorify the other members. Not themselves. So the, the community in the Trinity is unbelievable and something that we can barely imagine because they spend all their time, so to speak, glorifying the other two. The Son glorifying the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit glorifying the Son and the Father. The Father glorifying the Son and the Spirit. They do not seek to glorify themselves. They seek to glorify one another. Or maybe you could say they seek to benefit the other members. Now, if that's what perfect community is, think about then the church. What is the church supposed to be? Or what are we able to move towards as we trust Jesus and as we're empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, think about it. If the church is to represent God, then these gifts that we're given are the way that God enables us 
to be more like him, that the members of a church would live to serve the members, the other members, that we wouldn't focus so much on ourselves, but we would all be focused on benefiting the other members as well as the rest of the world as we can. So it's, it's, it's this imagine, I mean, just trying to imagine how amazing that would be, that perfect community where nobody focuses on themselves. They simply seek to benefit the other people in the group. It's, it's kind of hard to even imagine. But you can kind of imagine it. And there's, a, there's an old allegory, and I want to stress allegory. There's, this is not biblical. It's not unbiblical, but it's not something from the Bible. Uh, and it's this old allegory of the long spoons. Uh, sometimes it's long chopsticks. Sometimes it's long boards. Uh, it's an allegory that exists in a lot of different cultures and even religions. And basically what it is is this idea that there's a difference between heaven and hell, but there's also some similarities. And it's the idea that in hell there's a table. Again, this is total allegory. But there's a table and there's a bunch of people sitting at the table and there's soup in the middle and their hands are basically very long spoons. And in hell, everybody is miserable and they're fighting constantly because they dip their long spoon in the soup in the middle, but it's so long they can't get it to their mouth. So it's spilling all over and it's making a mess and they're fighting each other and they're hitting each other with each other's spoons. And the whole time they just they can't feed themselves and they're miserable. And so as the allegory goes, in heaven, the table's still there, the people are still there, the soup is still there, and the spoons are still there. The difference is that everybody simply is serving someone else. And they're happy. They're not trying to take care of themselves. They're taking care of one another. And in the process, so so the moral of the story is that if we try to serve ourselves, then nobody's going to be really happy. But if we're all able to serve one another, then there truly is joy. Now, we teach Christianity, not morality. Morality is worthless unless we are told how. And we are given power to live it out. So we don't teach morality. We teach Christianity, which is God showing us how we can live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we understand that and then thinking about the way that that helps us understand what the church can be like and how as each and every one of us serves, we're seeking to serve the others. And because everybody's seeking to serve someone else, everyone ends up getting served. And that does stress the importance of everyone being involved. This is why we're talking about these things. This is why we want everybody to fulfill some role, to do some part, because it will increase our community and make it a lot more Trinitarian and we'll experience that joy. We'll never get all the way there until Jesus comes back. But we can experience more of it if everyone is on board. And what's interesting is Paul, after bringing in the members of the Trinity, Paul then uses this illustration of the body. And he talks about how uh, the, the church is like a body and in the same way on, in a body... Every part matters, same with the church. Every person matters. And, and no one can say, I'm not important. And no one can say, someone else isn't important. He says that, just like in the body, every part matters. And in fact, he says something beautiful. He says that the parts that we usually think of as weaker or smaller are actually indispensable. Even the smallest parts are absolutely indispensable. In fact, 
I don't know a lot about biology. I don't know what Paul knew about biology, but I, I, I know about Google. So I looked up to, um, to find out what our, some of our smallest parts are. Do you know what the smallest bone in the human body is? Yeah, someone said it. It's the stape bone. It's one of three tiny little bones in your ear. And if you take it out, you can't hear, at least not very well. Tiny part, indispensable. So we see then that this is why we want everyone to know their spiritual gift, everyone to be serving through their spiritual gift, everyone to be moving towards experiencing even more Trinitarian community where there's much joy because we're not focused on ourselves, we're focused on each other. And as that happens, we experience more amazing community than we can imagine. And so everyone should know what role that they can play. And that's part of the emphasis of the sermon series. And last week we talked about maybe it's a role when we're gathered for worship. Maybe it's a role when we're gathered with other believers in community with other believers, maybe at a life group or something. Maybe it's more of missions. Things are happening outside the church where we're taking the gospel to the lost and the least in word and deed. But whatever it is, we should all know what our part is and we should all serve in that part knowing that it's one of the things it does other than glorify God is it increases the community that we experience. And then as we see that increase, we will also see the world where the community in the world is disintegrating, right? Especially in our country. And so the church will be one of the only places where people truly love one another and experience that type of community. Some pretty amazing motivation. And, you know, in my heart, here's, I'll I'll be honest, what, what I wrestle with is I struggle to believe that it's really true. If I spend myself on everyone else, uh, my needs will be met. I struggle to believe that. So with my spoon, I'm usually trying to get some into my mouth. And I want to repent. And I want to turn away from that. And I want to believe more and more that I really am free to spend my time trying to serve others. And trust that God will ensure that my needs are met. And in the process... I get to be part of the formation and, and, and ongoing formation of a, of a community that's unlike anything else in the world. So, so maybe there's some, some motivation in that for you and you're, you're really longing to jump in if you're not serving or maybe you are serving and you're realizing how important what you do is no matter what the size of the part. Uh, and so then, therefore, the good news is we don't, we're not left with simply go do this, we're given power. We're told about the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that. Looking at verse 11, really. In, in verses 8 through 10, there are a series of gifts listed, and we're not going to really talk about those because our, our main focus right now is that they're all empowered by the Holy Spirit. So take a look at verse 11. He says, all these, and just by way of reminder, Every New Testament scholar that, that, that's reputable that talks about the gifts uh, is saying that none of these gift lists are the full list. They're just examples. Okay? So there's, there's more than what we would even see here. But he, so he's saying all these all are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, what he's saying is all spiritual gifts or all ministry roles, if that's the way we want to look at it, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of them. Everything we're doing in Jesus' name, there is power from the Holy Spirit. 
Last week we talked about how Jesus uh, is prophet, priest, and king. And so really all ministry either is kind of speaking ministry or maybe a serving ministry or a leading ministry to go along with his three primary roles. What we need to understand is whatever we're doing, whether it is a speaking role or whether it is some type of serving role or a leading role, whatever we're doing, what we want to believe is that as we do these things, the Holy Spirit will empower us for it. And what's interesting is, you know, the same Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians also wrote a number of New Testament letters. And in multiple places, he talks about how the Holy Spirit or God has empowered him or strengthened him or how Jesus has strengthened him. So, for example, in verse 20, or Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the Apostle Paul says that when he was proclaiming the gospel, it was God's energy that God was working in him that enabled him to do it. Another place would be 1 Timothy 1, 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, or 2 Timothy 4, where he says, but the Lord stood, listen to this, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So we have to understand that the one teaching us on spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12 is one who fully believed and taught that everything that he's doing is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by God. So the question then is, well, how? How do we do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we do that? And the answer is, Simple, but it's not easy. Great baseball player Ted Williams was once asked, is it easy to hit a baseball? He said, well, it's simple, but it's not easy. Okay. And here's the simple but not easy answer. The answer is faith. How do we do things in the power of the Holy Spirit? We have to believe God's word is true. In other words, we have to believe that if we believe in Jesus, then we do have the Holy Spirit within us. And if we have the Holy Spirit within us, we also have these gifts. And if we have these gifts, we will have power for these gifts so that we can benefit other people. We have to believe those things. And then we set out on these journeys or on on these things or in this speaking role or serving role or leading role. We do these things believing that as we go ahead and do what we can, we know that the power will actually come in and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, you already believe that you can do things while relying on a power that's actually separate or even outside of you. You already know this. You do this. There are a number of ways in which we do things where we're actually physically doing things, but we're also relying on the power of something outside of us. Okay? Probably one of the... uh, Favorite ways I do this, and maybe some of you as well, is using one of mankind's greatest inventions. The chainsaw, right? Like how amazing is a chainsaw? We all love using a chainsaw. I would chainsaw all day. I would be a lumberjack if I could handle the cold and all that stuff and the loneliness. But I just, I love using a chainsaw. If you need yard work involving a chainsaw, please call. 
Because, like, my spiritual gift is chainsaw. I think that's, that's one of my gifts. When I'm using a chainsaw, what's happening? I'm doing something, but I'm relying on the tremendous power of this thing that is separate from me. It's outside of me. So you know how this works. Maybe, maybe you've ridden a horse. You ever ridden a horse? When you're riding a horse, you're doing something. You're hanging on to the reins or going, or making that noise, whatever. That, but what's happening? You're relying on the power of this massive beast underneath you. You ever go sailing? When I was in high school, I was in a, involved in a ministry called Young Life, which is a ministry to high school students. And Pete was our leader. And I went to camp one summer. And one day Pete said, hey, tomorrow, do you want to go out on the, the Hobie Cat, the sailboat with me tomorrow? And I said, I don't know what a Hobie Cat is, but sure. And so the next morning, he, we go out and we set sail on this lake. And at first, we're going, you know, roughly three miles an hour. And he's saying, isn't this great? I'm like, that's not great, um, but it's okay. And then he says, well, hold on. And, and he begins to turn, and somehow the wind fills the sail a little bit more. And then we're moving, right? And like, you know, there's no engine on the boat. It's just that the wind is pushing and, and we're moving and we're moving and we're moving. And then he says, you're probably going to want to hang on to something. And I'm like, yeah, okay, why? Oh, and then all of a sudden the whole side of the boat comes up out of the water. Because if you've ever seen a Hobie cat, there's two pontoons. And when you get the wind going right, the, the sail is pushed so far that it actually pops out one of those pontoons out of the water. And you're just like hanging on for dear life. It's like, isn't this fun? I'm like, no, this is scary. But the entire time, we were doing something, but we were completely relying on the power of the wind. And it was there. So you know how to do this. The difference is we can't see the Holy Spirit. You can see a chainsaw, you can see a horse, you can see a Hobie cat. You have to go on faith that the Holy Spirit is within you. The proof is your faith. And then you go forward, acting in this role, whatever it may be, believing that you are going to do whatever it is God's called you to do, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit which is separate from you and in some ways outside of you, although He is within us but not mixed with us. So it is a separate, it's something outside of us. And think about this. I mean, you, you know how to do this. I know how to do this because we believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? That we rely entirely on something outside of us, separate from us, for our salvation. We believe that there's absolutely nothing in us, nothing we could do, nothing we could not do that would ever reconcile us to God. We have to rely entirely on something completely outside of us, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, His perfect life where we get our righteousness, His sacrificial death where we get our forgiveness, and the faith that we've been given so that we know that's been done for us. So it's really a matter of radical faith, just believing that indeed the Holy Spirit is within us and He will empower us that doesn't mean ministry is ever easy it doesn't mean everything always goes just like you want it to but the more we serve and the longer we serve and many of the people in this room will stand up and testify to this we if you have served 
you will say, I thank him who has strengthened me. And you see his power. You see him at work because things happen that you know you could not have done. In fact, get this. In Ephesians 2, Paul says something that helps, I think, uh, make sense of this as well. Here's, Here's what he says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then get this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what that means? You've actually never beaten the Holy Spirit to a ministry opportunity. He was there before you. He'll be there after you. So let me finish the story about the young Christian and the inmate. The young Christian is actually Tim Tebow, everybody's favorite gator. Okay? Um, Tim Tebow tells this story. So he goes to the prison. He's going to do some evangelism. He's going to share the gospel with inmates. He is told that they want him to talk to this one inmate. He's a murderer outside of prison. He's a murderer inside of prison. And so Tim Tebow goes up to this plexiglass little window, sticks his face against it. The murderer inmate on the other side sticks his face against it. And here's the conversation. The murderer says to Tim Tebow, are you a Christian? And Tebow says, yes. And then Tim Tebow says to the inmate, do you know why we're here? And the inmate says, no. And Tim says, we're here to tell you about the love of God in Christ. And the inmate drops to the floor and weeps uncontrollably. And when he's able to get his composure, he tells Tim Tebow that five minutes before Tim arrived, he finally broke and he had cried out to God and he he had said, God, no one's ever been there for me. No one's ever cared for me. No one's ever loved me. Everybody has abused me. People have treated me horribly. No one's ever had my back. And I don't know what else to do, but I'm at my, I'm at the end here and I'm just going to throw this out there. And if you're there, if you, if you can do something, if you will care for me or get my back, then you got to do something. And then walks in Tim Tebow. And more importantly, already there was the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Timmy Tebow is the hero in a lot of games, right? But in this moment, He is not the hero. The Holy Spirit of God is the hero. And you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. He points to the finished work of the Son and the amazing love of the Father. And so in that moment, God is the hero. God is the one who rescues this murderer. And we need to be reminded that his grace is big enough even for him, even for that murderer. He is our brother. And so that's the beauty of relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. As you will see Him work in different ways, but you will see Him work. And then it's hard to do anything other than worship. Which is what He deserves. Let's pray. Father, 
I want to repent of my tendency to try to serve myself in my home, in this church, among friends. And I want, I want to ask you to do a work in me, help me to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit within me that I might live more and more for the benefit of others in disciple-making, in caring for one another, in advancing the gospel in word and deed. And I pray that for us as a church, Lord, help us to really believe you that we can focus on everyone else and that our needs will be met. We can seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added unto us. And would you do a mighty work by the power of your spirit that we might see much fruit and turn and worship you who made it all possible. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.